Hi, I'm Nikki from Teaching Autism and welcome to the Autism and Special Education Community Podcast. Are you an autism or special education professional? Are you a teacher or therapist looking for support and new ideas? You may even be a parent, family member or carer. This podcast is perfect to help you find out more information, support and get some of your questions answered. Hi, and welcome back to the Teaching Autism and Special Education Community Podcast. Today on the podcast, I am welcoming back Brandy Rosen. Brandy was on episode 11 of our podcast and Brandy is an IEP specialist and coach. In episode 11, she spoke all about IEPs and how to run successful IEP meetings. And I really recommend heading back and listening to that episode first, just before you listen to this one. Today's episode, Brandy is talking all about creating and modifying IEP goals and it's a really great episode that I can't wait for you to listen to. Before we start, I just wanted to remind you to head over to the show notes and make sure that you sign up for a three-day free trial for our VIP membership and you're going to get access to so many amazing resources that you can print out straight away and put into action in your classroom. Head over to the show notes, click the link, find out more, sign up to that three-day free trial because you are going to have access to so many resources for free. Without further ado, let me introduce Brandy Rosen for today's podcast episode. Hi, Brandy, and welcome back to the Teaching Autism and Special Education Community Podcast. I am so excited to have you back today. Could you give a little introduction to who you are for our listeners, please? Absolutely, and thanks for having me. My name is Brandy Rosen. I am a special ed consultant, and I provide support for parents to help them navigate the special ed system. But I also provide training and coaching for both general ed and special ed teachers in all areas, primarily um, classroom management and IEPs. Thank you so much. And you were actually on episode 11 of this podcast where you shared all your best IEP tips and help for teachers and parents. And that was such a great episode. Thank you. Thank you. It was fun. It was it was a good conversation. It was. And I'm so excited to have you back today where we're going to be talking all about creating and modifying IEP goals. Absolutely. So just in case anyone's listening, maybe it's their first time and they haven't listened to the previous episode before, would you just give a really brief introduction about what IEPs are? Absolutely. Um, IEPs are documents that are created by school-based teams to meet the needs of students who are eligible for special education in one of the 13 areas that they can be found eligible. And they're really an educational guide or a plan for each individual student to focus on what areas they're struggling with or have deficits in, and then come up with a systemized, um, a systematic plan to help move that child forward based on their own strengths and weaknesses. I know that IEPs can be really confusing for parents and teachers, so that was a really helpful description you gave there. Thank you, Brandy. Sure. So today we are going to be talking about creating and modifying IEP goals. Now, would you mind just explaining why and how they can be created? Well, um, federal law requires that IEP goals have certain pieces to the goal, and they do require a lot of similarities. Um, So 
the the thing about an IEP goal is that it's it shouldn't be based on the school or the program. It should be based primarily, well, really only on a student need, because the way that the IEP is designed is it's kind of a connect the dots. So um, the first thing that you do is you assess and you find their current levels, and then um, you develop goals based on those current levels, and then um, you move into accommodations and services based on the goals. So goals drive places and services. So the goals should really um, be very specific to that student. They shouldn't be, um, you know, eligibility specific or disability specific. They really should be based on what that, that student needs. So, you know, the team comes together to figure that out. That was perfect. And I know that you have actually put together a really great IEP goal developer that just makes it seem so much easier and less stressful to create those IEP goals. Would you mind sharing just a little bit about that today? And then I'll link to it in our show notes as well. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think that um, people can get overwhelmed because, you know, we all like structure and we all like kind of things to be outlined for us. And when we sit down to write goals, it can be overwhelming because there can be so much that a student needs and you're not quite sure where to go. So I just put together a little, just kind of a little outline um, to make sure that all the legal components of a goal are covered. So um, the, the things that have to be in an IEP goal are the date, the setting, the target skill and data and which which speaks to how you're going to measure if that goal is being met. And so if you um, really move through the IEP goals and then come back to make sure that you've covered all of those areas, then you've written a legally compliant goal. It doesn't mean it's our, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's has all the information that you need, but it does mean that you've hit all the um, important pieces and it just helps it helps people to kind of think through the process. Um, you know, when I when I'm training teachers, I'll say, so you want to think through when is this going to be? Um, when is the goal need to be completed by? Where do you want the student doing it? What is the skill that you want them working on? And then how are you going to measure that they've either met or not met that goal? So if you keep kind of coming back to that structure, it helps to make sure that you've met the the components of the IEP goal. Definitely. I think having a system in place that you can refer back to and that little sheet that you've shared with me, that's the perfect visual just to make sure you're staying on track and not sort of making things overly difficult for yourself. Just going back to those basics, really, isn't it? Just to stay on track with them. That's that's a really great point, is that I think sometimes we do um, make it overly difficult in that we you know, put a lot of things in each goal or we, you know, try and do kind of acrobats around writing the goal. But really it is, it should be pretty simple because you want to make sure that that the, the targeted goal is very clear and that whoever's reading the goal is able to know what it is that that student's working on. I, I always encourage people to, um, especially new teachers, to give the goal to somebody that doesn't know the child at all and ask them, what do you think I'm asking the student to work on? Because if it's not clear um, to them, then it's likely not clear to other people as well. So that's kind of a a nice um, checks and balances. 
I love that idea where they give it to someone else to see if they can understand it. And I think that would benefit anyone because sometimes, like you say, we can put off making these goals for so long. And then when we do get down to making them, sometimes we can make them too wordy or maybe we're just dancing around the goal instead of actually just writing down the exact goal we want to work on. Absolutely. We try. And, and, you know, the other piece that comes into that is oftentimes when we're writing goals, we are writing goals for um, students that we know well. And so um, it's hard because sometimes you don't put in things that are important or you put in too much because you really know that child. But the idea is you have to, you know, you're trying to write a goal basically with the assumption that somebody doesn't, that doesn't know the child would be able to implement the goal. So that's another piece of it. And just always good to have a a second set of eyes on it. Definitely a second set of eyes. You'll be surprised how much just someone else can pick up from reading something you may have read so many times, but that second pair of eyes, so helpful. Absolutely. So while we're on this subject, there was a question that I had come in, actually, that I think would fit in nicely here, where we are so used to making goals for students that we know, and maybe they've already had past IEPs that we can look back on and things. But one woman wrote in and she has students come to her who have never been in a school before, never had an IEP before. And a lot of the times she panics about writing their first ever IEP goals. So she said, do you have any advice to just make that a little bit easier for her and make sure she is on the right track for putting together that first IEP? That, that's a really great question. And those are, are for sure, um, in some ways, the harder IEP, but in some ways easier because you don't really have anything to go by yet. But um, yeah, I think the best piece of advice Um, it really in all cases is one of the, you know, one of the laws to live by is that if a student has a deficit in a present level or a current level, then they need a goal. They need a goal in that area. If there's a goal, they need to make sure that there's a deficit in the present levels. So what I do is I actually um, encourage teachers and I work with them to kind of write out a chart. So where, um, I have them write all the present levels that there's deficits in. So say there's a, you know, a reading comprehension deficit and there's a math computation deficit and there's a um, communications deficit. Then I have them write those out on one side of the paper. And then I have them write the goals that they've developed um, or are thinking of develop on the other side of the paper. And then I just have them really draw lines between the two. It sounds really simple, but um And then you make sure that you've covered everything. So that's kind of your guideline. So if you have these, you know, say three or four deficit areas, then you know you have to write goals for those particular deficits. And that may be it. And that's great. And so you want to just make sure that those are connected. If you end up and you see that you wrote a goal and there's no deficit, then you probably don't need that goal. Or if you see that there's a deficit and there's no goal, then you need to write a goal in that area. So that's kind of a nice cheat sheet to be able to make sure that you've covered the areas that you need. I love that. And it's such a simple system. You don't have to make it overcomplicated. It really is that easy. And you can just so easily identify if you're on the right track for them as well. Right, right. And that's really the goal. I mean, you know, special education is so complicated and there's so much to it that any time we can put in any kinds of systems or checks and balances that simplify things is always a good idea. Definitely. The simpler, the better. I love it when the workflow just runs smoothly. 
Right. So one more question I did have was from a lady who she's unsure who can create IEP goals. So she often has created them herself, but there's a teacher in another classroom who gets her staff team together to create their IEP goals. So she wanted to know what would you think is the best way who should be creating these goals? Well, I mean, I think that's an interesting, it's an interesting question and I don't know that there's one particular answer. Um, in general, the, um, specialist or the expert in that particular area, um, should primarily write the goals. So if it's a speech and language goal, then the speech and language therapist should write it. If it's an occupational, you know, therapy or a fine motor goal, then the OT should write that. Generally that, that, um, is the way that it goes. Um, academics, then that should really be the special ed teacher. Um, again, collaboratively with team members is always, is always the best way because you want to get input about, um, how that student is performing across different areas. Um, I think the only place where that's a little bit different is when, um, you're working with a student with more moderate to severe disabilities or, um, kind of global delays, oftentimes it's super helpful to write those goals um, as a team because in general, multiple providers will be will be giving input to the goal as well as how they serve that goal. So um, it's generally less broken apart than it is for a more mild um, to moderate kind of, you know, student with disabilities. Um, because if you have a, if you have a child who has um, severe cognitive delays and, and maybe impacted across multiple different areas, then, you know, the speech person, the OT person, the special ed teacher, they may all be kind of collaborating and working together on particular goals. So those are really nice to work together in that way. Um, general ed teachers should not be writing IEP goals. That is one of the, one of the things that sometimes comes up. Um, the special ed teachers can be getting input from general ed teachers, but the special ed teachers are the case manager to be writing those goals. That was perfect. Thank you. And I like what you said, how everyone sort of has something to bring to the table as well, the speech and language therapists, occupational therapists. And I think sometimes we all see things from a different way. So working as a team does help us create the best goals for each individual student as well. Right. Now, another thing that gets brought up a lot is this is often by teachers who I feel find the IEP targets are quite overwhelming for them and they don't know maybe how to create them. So they try and access IEP goal databases, whether these are online, whether they're in the school. What are your thoughts on an IEP goal database? <laughs> well, <laughs> so um, I... I think that um, a database is a good starting point. So um, I think that, especially for new teachers who don't have a lot of experience, I think that if you use those databases as um, a, a really a jumping off point to look at the structure, to get some ideas on goals. Um, but I am not a huge proponent of cut and paste IEP goals in general because the law requires that um, that the IEP is individualized. And so um, I have more concerns when there are goals where it says, you know, this is the reading comprehension goal that I use, or this is the, um, you know, phonics-based goal I use, because that 
maybe your base goal, but since each student is different, they may have deficits that drive kind of a different focus for the goal. So um, I, I, when I coach teachers, I encourage them to look at the goal banks, to look at, at, you know, the goals that they can find anywhere, and then just take those as kind of the structure and the skeleton of the IEP goal, and then put in your own, um, you know, own individual work. Having said that, I also think it's wonderful for for teachers to um, keep the goals that they've written over time, either you know on the computer or in a file, um, and so that they have somewhere to start because you don't have to recreate from you know from nothing every single time. I think you can use the structure of goals that you've used in the past, but I just always encourage teachers to be really careful about. Um, using the same exact goal. Like if you, you know, if you have a, if you have students and you can look back over multiple IEPs and you see that, you know, nine of your 10 students have the same goals, then that would be something that I would encourage teachers to look at and really make sure that they're individualizing those goals. Yes, that was perfect. Thank you so much for that. Like you say, the databases can be helpful, but we used to treat them kind of like um, a Pinterest catalog where you go there to sort of get like the starting point and then you take away from that and put your own sort of creative touch on it as if you were looking at a Pinterest point of view. So really making them individual, but just getting that starting point, which sometimes that's what we're stuck on. We're stuck on the starting point. And once you, yes. And once you have that starting point, all of a sudden it just flows because you know where to start from. Right. Right. And I, I love that. I, I love that kind of analogy using the Pinterest because we use that so much now that that's a great way to think about that. Definitely. I don't know if anyone else is like me, but I'll go to Pinterest for, you know, craft activities or cooking things. And then I'll look an idea and then I know I can tweak that to suit my students. So you're just using yeah. it as a sort of bread and butter base to make something more exciting and more personalized absolutely absolutely so moving forward with these goals once we have these goals set and we've got them created for our students what do you think is the best way for us to assess these goals to make sure they are right for each individual student well, you know, I think that's probably um, in most cases our weakest areas um, is that assessment, that ongoing assessment piece. And, you know, that that's because the reality is that we're very busy and there's so much going on. It's hard to um, it's hard to keep up with that. But I think that one of the one the most the most helpful piece about um, assessing goals, it really comes as you're creating the goal. Because when you're putting the measurement piece into the goal, how that goal is going to be measured, I always encourage teachers to think about that from a place of what they feel like they could, um, what they feel like they could do easily. So just for an example, when you write a goal, some people like to say two out of three opportunities. Some people like to say 80% accuracy. People have different preferences um, and the goals call for different things. But I encourage teachers to use a measurement system that is easier for them. Um, You know, I, I jokingly say math is not my strong suit. And so I like percentages because percentages are easier for me. And so um, I use a lot of percentage in my measurement goal because then I know how to collect data easily with those percentages. And then as soon as the IEP is signed, I encourage teachers to um, 
have a very, very simple data collection system just where the goals are written out and then they set um, a data collection timing and it doesn't need to be every single day. It shouldn't be every single day, but maybe you set it for, you know, every two or three weeks when you're working with that student, you have your data collection sheet and you're just doing like a check or a minus, or you're just doing a percent to note where they are on that particular goal. Because the though it takes a little bit of work um, up front, it saves so much time when we get to those uh, reporting periods, which can be so overwhelming because all of a sudden you have, you know, seven to 25 kids where you have to collect data and um, that can be a lot. But if you're doing it all along, it's just done for you. All you have to do is sit down, add up those numbers and you're ready to go. So, um, I encourage teachers to think about that data collection system as a part of creating the IEP. So when they're figuring out their timing of writing the IEP, that the data collection sheet goes into that timing. So it's just done. And then once you create a sheet that is comfortable for you and easy for you, then you've got it. And all you have to do is plug in the new information for each IEP goal. That was perfect. And I love the idea of that ongoing data collection every week as well, because like you say, that can become overwhelming very fast if you haven't got a system in place. But it's so much easier, I find, to do it ongoing. I know, like you say, it does take a little bit of work up front, but we used to find once we got into the routine of it, it made life so much easier then. Right. And, and really, you use the same sheets over and over, whatever you find that works for you. So it's almost done for you. And then you just have to plug in once the IEP is completed, you just plug in those new goals. And then um, it also allows for other people to be able to take data if, if that is called for based on the IEP. So if you have um, additional adults, they can take data. If Perhaps it's in a general ed classroom and that's something that the general ed teacher can help with. There's there's a lot of different options once it's set up. Definitely. And I think that's the key for why we should keep it simple, because we want to make sure everyone can understand what we're asking of them to collect data. None of this fancy stuff that people have got to try and decipher and sit down and work out. Right. And that doesn't, it doesn't even give you anything more, you know, sometimes people love those fancy sheets, but it doesn't end up giving you any, you know, any more information. It just maybe gives you a headache in the end. <laughs> Definitely. I think keeping it simple is key. And I liked where you touched on the measurement and the percentage that you use or the two out of three times, two out of four times, because we actually had a question sent in from a teacher and she was asking about creating IP goals and she wasn't sure how to always be judging the measurements. So her question was, how do you know what measurement percentages to use for different goals? Because some goals she feels like should have 100% and then some goals like 80%. How would you decipher those? That's, that's a great question. Um, one of the most important things to look at when you're determining that goal is where their present levels are. So you're looking at the baseline, which is where they're currently working right now. And then, you know, the, unfortunately, the only answer is um, what's reasonable within a year. And I know that that's not a very concrete answer. But if you have a student who is displaying the skill, say, 20 percent of the time, then to jump to 90% accuracy or um, you know something like that may be too big of a jump. And we wanna always remember that 
in general, um, a student that doesn't have a disability can make a year's growth in a time, in a year. That's, that's sort of our, our general measurement. And, um, so we want to be careful about when we write the goal that it's reasonable in the growth. Um, so, Sometimes what you need to do, so if you have a, a student who's displaying the skill, say 5% of the time, then that may be a skill that needs to be broken up into smaller skills so that they can master those smaller skills to be able to get to a higher percentage. Um, I'll, I'll use attending, say, as an example. So if you have a student who is currently attending or paying attention 5% of the day, and you want to write a goal and you sit down and you look at the data and you're trying to write a goal that they'll attend 90% of the day. That's probably too big of a goal because um, it's unlikely that they will make that large of a jump in that in that amount of time. So instead, you may want to break up that goal into two different goals where, say, they're attending during a small group activity and then another goal for attending in a large group activity um, because maybe they're able to meet that small group attention goal easier than the large group. So it, it is kind of... Um, it's kind of detective work and it takes some creativity and really looking at what you're measuring. Um, but I, I just as kind of a wrap up on that, I'm very weary of, um, of a hundred percent goals just because, um, very few of us, you know, exist in the world at a hundred percent, meaning we're constantly at all times doing something or able to display a skill. So I always encourage teachers to really think about if that's an appropriate um, expectation at a hundred percent, because that means they can never not do it. And so um, I, you know, I, 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 IEP goals should definitely be set up um, to push kids, but at the same time, it, you know, in a way that's um, respect, respectful of what's reasonable. So, you know, that hundred percent is kind of a, a tricky one, unless it's something obviously like a safety goal or something where you really do need that to happen at a hundred percent. So just something to think about with that as well. Definitely. A hundred percent makes me nervous because yeah. we're all human and I still make mistakes now. Like even if I had a goal for, you know, counting or something really simple if I'm in a hurry one morning or I'm rushing for something it's really easy for me to make a human error and even more so if I can feel you know maybe I've had a stressful morning I can feel someone watching me things just it's human error isn't it you're never going to get 100% in everything no that's how I feel too and and I don't know that you know at another level if we if we want to send that message to kids that you know that the goal, that the expectation is that there's no room for error. So just something to think about on that as well. But um, just really thinking about what's reasonable in a year's time, what that growth should look like is, is important to determine how you set that measurement. Definitely. And I think it's so easy for us. Sometimes we can overestimate, but sometimes we can underestimate our students' growth as well. Right. And I think that, you know, that's important oftentimes when we're sitting talking to parents as well to let them know that um, 
when we're writing goals, it, we're, we're really doing educated guesses because, uh, you know, we don't, we don't have a, a for sure um, guarantee that they are, are, are not going to make progress. But what's wonderful about an IEP is that it's an active living document. So if we write a goal and, you know, we're three months in and the student has met the goal, that's awesome. Then we come back to the table and we write a new goal to be able to push them either further. Um, and then on the flip side, if we write a goal and we're six months into the year and we see that they're really not making progress on that, then we come back to the table again and we say, there's something going on. We want to look at this a little bit closely. Like I said, maybe we need to break the skill down a little bit, but um, there, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to be, we're sitting down today and we'll never sit again, you know, we'll never sit down again until next year. And this goal has to sit. Definitely. I think it's great to treat it like a working document. And like you say, some students may hit a goal really quick. And that's not a reflection either. I've seen so many teachers panic when their students have hit a goal early and they think, oh, my gosh, I've done something wrong. They've hit it too early. I think we're so personal with ourselves and taking things personal. But really, we should just appreciate how fantastic it is the student met that goal. And now we can try something else as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the flip side is not to be super hard on ourselves if, if a student is not meeting the goal in the way that we um, expected, because there's just a lot of variables, you know, like you said, we're humans. And so, I mean, a lot of things can come into play that we didn't expect, or we didn't know that they would react a certain way or whatever. And that's okay too, that we can come back and, and look at that as a team. Definitely. And we can never be fully in control. You know, something could happen at home, something could happen with the student. There's so many things that come into play that can have an effect on our IEP goals that we set. Absolutely. Now, one thing I really wanted to talk about, because this is something I feel like everyone finds really difficult, is how can we identify if a goal needs modifying? Like, when's it too soon to look at modifying that goal? When's it too late? It's such a little tricky thing to get right. I know it is tricky. And again, um, I think, you know, it's one of when I, when I'm coaching teachers, I am constantly saying like, Oh, well, there's no easy answer to this. Oh, there's no one right answer, which I know people want to have that one right answer. Um, but I, I, I do think that, um, if, if you are at a progress monitoring period, whatever that may look like, um, within say three to four months, and if there is no progress at all, um, or even a, a slide, then I would say that's a time, that's a red flag. It doesn't mean that it's not the right goal. And it doesn't, it doesn't even mean that any changes need to be made, but it does mean that um, as an educator, I would, I would look at that a little bit closely. And generally what I see is that when that's the case, most often what's going on is that the goal was too big. It was too broad. Um, and it just needs to be broken down a little bit. That's generally, um, it, it's generally not that it was the wrong goal or that it was the wrong skill. It's generally, it was just too big or it was too broad. And so then I encourage teachers to come back and look at that and maybe, you know, look at what the, the I, I'm always encouraging teachers to look at what's the skill right before the skill we wrote the goal for. And that's where we can often find that we may be, um, skipped over a goal. I uh, was skipped over a skill. We were a little too ambitious in thinking that they had mastered something, just really taking that one step back and seeing, um, 
if that's, you know, if we're moving in the right direction. And then if, if that's not the case, sometimes, like you said, it can be that something's happened in the family or something's happened in the communities that they're living in, or, you know, they were out because they were ill. Like there's a lot of other variables, but I think the important piece is that, um, that what, that what we don't let happen is that we sit down for the annual IEP and we haven't, examined these factors in the entire year, yet they hadn't made any progress. So that's where I think it's more of a concern where we say, yes, we notice this is going on. We're looking at this. This is happening. We'd like to change the goal, or maybe we think the goal is still great, but we need to change a little bit of the services, you know, things like that. Just, just really being aware and on top of that lets us know where we need to move next. Yes, and I think that's where it's so important that we do have those good relationships and communications with our students' families so that we know what's going on. And then we can really take a look at things from a bigger perspective and see why maybe something's not being achieved like we thought it was. Right. And I think teachers often are very nervous about that. They they will say, um, well, we're going to be in trouble if they don't meet the goals. And that's not the case. And the law does not um, the law does not say that students need to meet goals to show progress, which is interesting, actually. Um, but the, it does say that that they need to um, help facilitate progress towards, you know, receiving faith. And so um, it's OK if a student doesn't reach the goal. It's OK if they, you know, we shot a little bit high or something else happened as long as they're making progress and as long as we have data to show that. Um, they are moving in the direction that we want them to do. And, and I, I mean, a lot of times we sit down and the student didn't meet the goal because maybe they met a part of it, but they didn't meet another part of it, or um, they didn't quite get there. And we had expected this progress um, or we had hoped for a certain level of progress and they made great progress, but not quite there. So we'll look at what we need to do differently. And that's all part of, you know, what we do as an IEP team. And, and that to me that's a good sign. That's like exciting where, you know, everybody's involved and, and it's changing and it's growing as you move through. Definitely. And I think, like you said, there's no reason to be scared or worried. I think just being open and honest and really putting across all the information you've gathered, that's going to back you up anyway. That's going to show that you've tried things. And unfortunately, maybe it's just not right now. But we once had a parent and we had to tell them, you know, there was a goal that was just a little bit too big. And I'll never forget because he just turned on and said, well, if you do split this goal, we were going to split it into three different mm-hmm. skills. I think it was. He said, so you were going to take him back one step but he's going to go forward four steps after that possibly and that was just a great way to look at it he was like he's not going back and never coming forward again he just needs to go back a second so he can go forward even further than before that's that's great and and what a great parent and I, I love that whole idea of that um, and I I agree with you I think that important piece is that you have the data that shows um, a parent really what you're talking about we had a similar we had a situation where we had a goal for a student who um, she she was you know in elementary school um, a student with autism and we had a goal that she would be able to attend for like a 20 minute um, uh, small group session. And um, 
And then when we started collecting data, we found out that she, though she was sitting quietly, she wasn't really even attending for 30 seconds. And so when we went back, um, I said, you know, I worked with a teacher and I said, we need to change that goal. You know, it needs to be, you're, you want to look at attending for a much shorter amount of time. And they were very nervous to tell that to the parents. And we were able to explain to them um, that we want to make her attending meaningful and not just that she looks like she's attending, but that she actually is. And the parent was able to understand that as well. Like, oh, so we're going to take a step back so we can really focus on the real skills she needs. And then we'll be able to push forward for the length of time. So that was a great conversation. Definitely. And it's just so great when you can show the parents and the families and anyone in the IP meter really all that evidence because then you don't feel like so alone. I think we worry about being on our own and worry about everyone judging us, but the data speaks for itself. So we can just present that and it's just so much easier for us once we have all that to share. Oh, it's it's so it is it's it is the the probably the thing that makes our job the easiest is to have it to have the data because it helps us work you know so collaboratively with families and it really helps guide our instruction which is you know the other major piece of our job so definitely and just while we are still touching on modifying these IEP goals who can modify an IEP goal um, well, so that's a great question. And it's this is this is an important piece. Um, the law is very clear on this, that an IEP goal has to be modified within the structure of an IEP meeting. And so um, it's not something that can be done just like um, at a meet, you know, just at like a conference with um, a parent and a teacher. The, the team needs to be together as um, an IEP. And that's where you can then change goals. Um, doing that outside of the IEP can be a, can be a real problem. And um, one of the important things to remember for new teachers especially is that idea that um, any change in an IEP needs to be done within the setting of the IEP and a parent needs to sign that they were a part of that or however you know your state documents that. Um, so that um, everybody that's involved can be a part of that decision making. So any change to the IEP needs to be held within an IEP meeting. Definitely. And that's nothing personal. It's just it's the best for the child or the student that we're talking about to make sure everyone's in agreement as well. Right. Right. Absolutely. And that everybody's expertise goes into making those decisions. Definitely. And I know you shared some amazing tips for how to run a really successful and positive IEP meeting back with us on episode 11. And you've also shared that I'm so excited to share my followers, your IEP agenda. And that just looks amazing. Do you want to explain really quickly what that is? Sure. Um, it's really uh, what, what I have found for both teachers and parents is that when they have something visual, because most of us do well with a, a visual guide of what is um, being covered in the IEP, it helps them to relax into the process. Because I think when people don't know what's coming up, 
they have anxiety about that and they're not able to be fully present as part of um, as part of the team. And so I think for teachers, it, it's really helpful. It just goes through all the required pieces of the IEP and it goes through the order of how things are done. And this is kind of one of my passions is, is for teams to understand this, that um, that there's a reason that IEPs go in the order that they go in. So, and like I said earlier, it really is just a basic connect the dots, but each of those um, portions of the IEP really feed the information into the next portion of the IEP. And so it's very important that we look at present levels first because that's where our students currently performing. And then we move into the goals that we do. We need that information from the present levels to develop the goals. We then need those goals to develop services and placement because those are those goals tell us then what we need to do to help the student meet those. So I think that when people have an agenda in front of them. They both have that structure that, and it, it, it allows them to kind of let go a little bit of that anxiety of like, when do I get to talk about the thing I want to talk about? And they're able to just see when we're going to get to that part. Definitely. And that helps to avoid maybe some awkward feelings as well mm-hmm. in the meeting where maybe the family want to rush ahead, the teacher's yeah. too nervous to say, can you just hold on to yeah. it? That agenda makes things so much easier and the meeting's going to run so much smoother as well. That's exactly right. And I, I like that point that you bring up because it is sometimes hard for teachers um, to to have a request from a parent like, I just want to get to services and it's hard for them to be able to explain, well, we'll get there, I promise. Um, but when when you have that in front of them, you can say, oh, absolutely, we will definitely talk about that. And one of the things about the form that I created is I left blanks for notes along the way. And so I always encourage um, the teachers I work with, as well as the parents that I work with, to jot down questions or thoughts that they have for a certain area of the IEP if we're not at that area yet. And that will happen so often where somebody will come up with some, you know, somebody will say something and then they're like, oh, that reminds me, I want to talk about speech services. And you can say, absolutely, jot that down in the services area and we'll get to that as soon as we get there. So that you're not you're not dismissing what anybody needs to talk about, um, but we're just going to do it in the proper time and order. Yes, and that's great because it reminds you as well, because you might have, maybe you'll have a longer meeting than normal, maybe you're talking about more things, and it's easy to forget things then, and there's nothing worse than maybe either a teacher going back to class, the family going home, and then realizing, oh no, we didn't talk about that thing that we really wanted to. Uh, I mean, that's just human nature, right? Like, that's all of us, where especially when as much as we do everything we can to make IEP meetings not stressful and not anxiety provoking, they often are for everyone involved. And I don't think, you know, that's just human nature. We forget, we're not thinking about it. We get nervous, we forget to say something. And then you're like, oh no, we forgot that. Or we didn't cover that. Or, or you know, I really wanted to make that point or any of that. And then we forget. So this is a great way to keep track of that. Definitely. And especially with those note sections that you've provided, that's just so easy then to sit at the end of the meeting and just go, okay, let's flick through, make sure we've covered all the notes just in case we've forgotten anything. And the parents and families and the teacher yourself, you will all appreciate those notes. 
Absolutely. And I think that's really a great point is that um, it's really important as school, um, as as the school team, that if parents bring up concerns or questions, that we get back to those um, and that we don't forget to cover it because that's an important piece of the IEP. But if we don't write those down, it is pretty tricky to keep track of everything we have. And so at the end, I always encourage teachers to go back and look at any of the notes that you wrote down or any questions parents had. And and I will often say to the parents, did we cover all your questions? Did we get everything covered so that um, you know, everybody leaves feeling like they were heard and that their needs were met as much as possible. Yes, I love that because it's really a team effort that we are providing these best goals and information and services for our students because we all just want the best for them, really, at the end of the day. The teachers, the families, we're all in this just for our children. Of course, absolutely. And I know you have a new teacher Instagram. Well, I don't know if it's new. I think it's new since we last spoke where you're sharing um, different tips and ideas for teachers for IEPs. And I believe that's at teachers underscore love underscore learning. Yes. And um, yeah, absolutely. And so there, there's, um, you know, information that comes through that, things that uh, links to different resources. And then you can always find that as well through my website on the resources and blog page. Um, I, I add to that pretty regularly. So um, I, I just created um, a, a new resource for teachers. It's a classroom management toolkit that you can get off my website as well. And that's a very comprehensive kind of resource for students or for teachers to help them manage the behaviors in their classroom and set up systems that really help them work. So that's a, a fun new, um, a fun new addition for resources on my, on my site as well. That sounds amazing. And I know your website is brandyrosenconsulting.com, which I'll put in the show notes. And you do offer courses and coaching as well for teachers about IEPs. Yes, absolutely. I do. Perfect. So I will link all those in the show notes. If there's one thing that you would want teachers listen to this today to take away about creating and modifying IEP goals, what would that be for you? Um, I think that, that overall, I think the most important piece is that, um, IEP goals should be individualized for a student and they should be based on, um, real data of some kind. Um, I think that we oftentimes will think that we can write a goal just based on knowing the student, um, but that it always is better to really get that data to make sure that we're right on. Because sometimes we are not exactly the best reporters because um, we know and we know our students and we're so close with them. And so I think really looking at that data driving goals and that we take the time to individualize those goals to make sure that, you know, at the end of an IEP, we can look back and we can say, wow, this really really, this is the student that I teach. This really is addressing those needs in a meaningful way. That was perfect. Thank you, Brandy. This is another amazing episode. I love when you come on and talk about IEPs. Like, I just want you to come on every week because I <laughs> learn so much from you. Thank you. You're a pleasure to, to chat with and I'm happy to share.
Thank you so much, Brandy. I'll put all of those links in the show notes so everyone can access all the amazing resources you have to offer, as well as your website and Instagram as well. But thank you so much for coming on today, Brandy, and giving us your time. Thanks, Nikki. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in to listen to today's podcast episode with Brandy Rosen, all about creating and modifying IEP goals. I have included all the relevant links that we have talked about in the show notes for today's episode, so just head on over and click the links that you are after. Be sure to head back to episode 11, where we discuss IEP tips for teachers and parents with Brandy. That is a fantastic episode that will totally change how you run your IEP meetings to make sure they're positive and successful for everyone involved. Thank you for listening and I'll speak to you again soon.